Dear brothers and sisters, from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Old Testament tells us the story of a remarkable young woman named Esther, and I'd like to share a little bit of Esther's story with you today. It's maybe one you're familiar with, or perhaps it's not. See, there was a time for God's Old Testament people, Israel, when they were carried off into captivity by a foreign nation known as Babylon. And there the people sat in captivity in this place called Babylon, almost a thousand miles away from their home for 70 years. But after 70 years, the Persian king Cyrus came and, and defeated Babylon and took over their lands. And Cyrus allowed the Israelite people to go home to their land. And some of them did, but not all of them. It was a long journey, and so some were too old or had children who were too young, and they stayed behind, and it was over the next hundred years that waves and waves would go generations apart from that land back to their home. And, and many of them, in the meantime, stayed in what was Babylon, what was now part of Persia, this place that they considered home because they'd been there their entire lives. And that was the case for Esther's family. As Esther was growing up, uh, an evil, a wicked man named Xerxes came to be king of Persia. Xerxes had a wife named Vashti who he invited one night to come to a party that he was throwing for all the men in his kingdom, and, and he wanted her to come and dance before them, and she refused, so he banished her from his kingdom. And then Xerxes decided he wanted a new wife, so he sent out his officials to gather up all of the beautiful young women from the capital city and bring them to him so that he could look at them. He could probably do more than look at them and decide which one of them he wanted to take as his new wife. And he chose this young Jewish lady named Esther. So Esther's path to being the queen of Persia was not exactly a fairy tale romance. Here she is. Her entire life has just been turned upside down. And then to make matters worse, the second in command of the entire nation, King Xerxes' right-hand man, had a bone to pick with Esther's uncle. And because of his hatred for Esther's uncle, got it in his mind that he wanted to wipe out all of the Jewish people. He went to the king, ready to bribe the king. Here's this great donation that I'll put into the coffers if you'll just let me just carry out this small genocide against these people. And the king said, I don't even need the money. Go ahead, do whatever you want. You have my blessing. Here's the ring. Make whatever royal edict you want. And so it got signed into law and it was going to be carried out that all the Jewish people would be put to death and killed. And so Esther's uncle sent word to her at the palace asking her if there was anything that she could do. He asked her if she would go before the king, present herself before the king, even though she hadn't received an invitation, which meant more than likely the penalty would be death, to implore him on behalf of her people to save them. And 
Esther's uncle's message ends with what's probably the most familiar passage from the book of Esther, a question that he asked her, who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He's asking her to think whether it was possible that God had been shaping her for that precise moment and that precise situation. And Esther asked him to pray with her, to get all of the people to pray with her over the next three days. And then she went to the king and she was able to secure deliverance for her people. All because of how God had uniquely shaped her. Over the last several weeks, we've been taking a long look at the question, who are you, who am I? Trying to get an answer to this question of what is our identity? And and there's a new question that I'd like you to think of today. How has God shaped me? Personalize it, how has God shaped you? We want to take a look at this passage because it's important. It has a lot to do with what it is that we're able to do as a member of his church, as a, as a priest in his kingdom, as people who have been brought together to serve him. So we'll look to our word of God today from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. There the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according with your faith, different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of our God. A lot of directive, a lot of do this, a lot of Paul urging us to do things, but he starts off the whole passage with a really important word, therefore, right? Whenever we see therefore, we know that when he's saying do these things, he he wants to connect them to whatever it was that he said right before this passage, and as I started looking backwards, trying to say, is it, is it the previous sentence or paragraph or chapter? I think what Paul is pointing us back to here is the entire beginning of the letter. From chapters 1 all the way through chapter 11, Paul be- makes this beautiful presentation of the core truths of the Christian faith. 
It's like his catechism that he leaves behind for the Christian church. These are the truths upon which we stand. And then in the last four chapters, starting with our lesson here in chapter 12 and going through the end of 15, he makes some really strong applications. So, some lifestyle applications, making it practical for God's people, for the Romans, for you and I today, how those truths shape us and how we now can live out our lives. What Paul does in Romans is exactly what Pastor Borman and I have been talking about over the last few weeks. He puts the roots before the fruits. Right? He uses those first 11 chapters to establish an identity for God's people before he goes forward to talk about their purpose. He, he talks about their justification, who they are in Jesus, before he talks about their sanctification, who Jesus has now made them to be. And in those 11 chapters, he focuses on four key truths. The first is our universal need for salvation. That every single one of us is a sinful human being who has failed to live up to God's expectations and because of that has no hope in and of ourselves for salvation. And so we need a Savior. The second point that Paul makes is how God has provided for that salvation. Through his work, through his son, he has done everything needed for our salvation and now he gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of faith. And through that faith, which trusts in his promise, in his work, he credits to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son. So that you are now not a sinner in God's sight, but a righteous and holy child of his. Third, Paul points us to the, the result of that salvation. Because you are righteous in God's sight, what does that mean? That means now you are free. You're free from his condemnation and his wrath. You're free from the slavery of sin. You're free from the consequence, the punishment of sin, which is death. And finally, fourth, he points us to the scope of that salvation. That salvation was won by Jesus for everyone. For the Jewish people, yes, but also for the Romans, also for 21st century Americans like you and me. God did it for you. So that's our identity, your identity. You are a sinful human being who has within yourself not one shred of hope for life everlasting, but you are a sinful human being whom God loves so deeply and so dearly that he sent Christ to redeem you by his blood so that now you are free from sin and death. Now you are heirs of everlasting life in heaven. Now you are children of God. And children together. Paul pointed us in that passage to this identity that we have as members of the body of Jesus. We looked a couple weeks ago at this picture of being living stones built up into God's holy temple. And we looked at a picture of stones in a wall and saw how each one of those stones was different from the next. But in their differences, they were perfect because they were able to be fit together into that perfect wall, that perfect temple. You take a look at your own body, all the different parts of your body, the members of your body are different. And that's a good thing because if all we had was ears, we wouldn't be able to do a whole lot. 
If all we had was fingers, then we wouldn't be able to hear or see. So each and every one of you has a distinct purpose in this body of Christ. And the question today is, what is it? What is your purpose? I could tell you the purpose of just about every part of my body. But can we look around this room and do the same? Can we, can we tell each other the purpose, the, the unique meaning that we bring to this family? It comes down to that question, how has God shaped you? And it's not a question that we're going to be able to answer today. Because there is not one blanket answer to this question, how has God shaped you? There are as many different answers for us today as there are people in this room. So what I'd like to do today is just start thinking about some more questions that will help you to identify an answer to that question, how has God shaped me on your own? I have six different things to think about, and, and I think it works out. There are six days after today before the next time we come back. So maybe that's one thing to wrestle with each day in this coming week. And in order to remember those six things, we'll use the acronym of the word SHAPED. So in this question of how has God shaped me, how has he shaped you, we're going to start with the letter S, which we use to refer to spiritual gifts. What are the spiritual gifts that God has given you? I think we have to start with, what is a spiritual gift? What does God mean when he talks about spiritual gifts? And, and I struggled a little to come up with an answer that would be helpful but the best I have, I think, is that a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's a way that the Holy Spirit shows himself through you. And it's something that you have only by the Holy Spirit working in your heart, only through that faith in Jesus as your Savior. So our spiritual gifts are different than our, our talents or our skills. Because everyone, even unbelievers, have talents and skills that they're born with, that they develop over their life. But a spiritual gift is the work of the Holy Spirit empowering you, enabling you to do this thing. And not just for yourself. Spiritual gifts are there for the benefit of the whole body. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that says, To each one, this manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. So that tells us not just the purpose, it's for the common good, but there's also a promise in there. To each one, the manifestation, the gift of the Spirit is given. So if you were sitting there wondering, I don't even know if I have a spiritual gift, God's Word says right here, yes, you do. He promises, he assures us that each and every one of us have received some gift of the Spirit, perhaps more than one, to benefit the body of believers. So what is it? What's mine? What's yours? Paul lists seven of them here in our passage today. He talks about prophesying, which would be proclaiming the Word of God, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And that's not an exhaustive list. There are other passages that we can look to that list even more gifts. I listed a few of those passages on your, your handout, your study guide. My encouragement to you, look up those passages. Look at all of these different spiritual gifts God talks about in his word and consider for yourself which of these might he have given to me to serve and benefit his church. You might be able to look up online and find just a full inventory of all those gifts 
that are listed in God's Word. Or if you don't want to do that, feel free to pick on me or on Pastor Borman, and we'd be happy to help you sort through what are the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. I'm throwing you under the bus with me on that one, Pastor Borman. I hope that's okay. We wanted to determine what those spiritual gifts are so that we can put them to work in the church. I woke up this morning and my nose did not remember that its purpose was to be able to breathe. I'm all plugged up, and that just kind of throws a wrench into the way that my body is functioning, right? But hopefully it will remember later today or by the end of this week that it's supposed to be bringing in oxygen for my body, and then things will be going more smoothly again. And when we can identify our gifts and put them to work, then everything here is able to run at a higher capacity. The next letter in our acronym, the letter H, refers to our heart. All right, And our heart is where we consider to be the seat of our passion, our, our emotions, our desires. So as we look at our heart, we're trying to determine what is it that I am passionate about? What are the kinds of people, the group of people that I enjoy the most, that I thrive hanging out with? Maybe it's little children. You love working with children. Maybe it's the elderly. You love working with them. What are the kinds of ministries that fill me up and give me energy as I, as I help out in that capacity? And if you want help with that one, make sure you're here on October 16th. After the service, we're going to have an event that's going to help you look at all the different ministries we have here at Mount Lebanon and see what might fill you up, a place where you can plug in. Those different passions that we have are important to identify because if you can find something that you're passionate about, which your God is also passionate about, that's a pretty big clue that that's something you want to pursue and something that's maybe worth dedicating some of your time to. Then we have the letter A. And A is for abilities. I think that we can probably break abilities into maybe two separate camps. There are our natural-born abilities, these talents that, that we seemingly are just born with. And maybe someone would say, you're a natural at that. You just seem suited to it. There's also other abilities that maybe we didn't start off such a natural at, but after years and years of perseverance and hard work, you've developed a really special skill in a certain area. And so that's an ability that you have now also. And the number of those abilities, I think, could probably go on. We could list them forever and ever here. I found a list online that had 50 different abilities, and under each one, you could break it down into maybe a dozen more. And I just want to read some of the ones that started with the letter C, just to give you an example, an idea. Coaching, communicating, competing, connecting, consulting, cooking, coordinating, counseling. And maybe you can see how underneath those there would be all these different subcategories. Maybe I'm good at this aspect of coaching or this part of cooking. And how could you take that ability, that gift, that talent that you have and put it to work in service to the people around you in God's kingdom? So I think it's a worthwhile thing to sit down and just make an inventory of these are the abilities that God has gifted me with because when we know what they are, then we can embrace them and then we can use them for the good of God's church. P 
is for personality. And when I think about this one, this is where it becomes abundantly clear to me that our God did not use a cookie cutter when he made different people. Because the variety of personalities that we have is just astounding, right? Each and every one of us has our own unique personality. But if someone were to come to you and ask you, what kind of a personality do you have? Would you even know how to start answering that question? How do I describe my personality? What, what type of personality do I have? And here again, there are all different kinds of resources out there that you can find surveys or, or inventory lists to go through and answer questions and look at things to help you determine your personality. They'll answer questions for you like, are you more extroverted or introverted? Are you a receiver or a judger? Do you like to, to think things out and intuit things or just to feel things? Some of them will assign you an animal to describe your personality. You're a lion or an otter or a beaver or a golden retriever. And there's just so much to look at. And I think it brings up the question, what's the point? Why, why do I want to do this? Why would I want to spend time to just put a label on my identity, my, my personality? I think the reason is this. Your personality is going to have a huge impact on the way that you put your spiritual gifts and your talents and abilities to work in God's kingdom. It's going to impact the way you go after those passions that you carry in your heart. For example, if two people have this spiritual gift of evangelism, of just going and sitting down and sharing the message of Jesus with someone else, but they find out in determining their personality that one of them is very much extroverted and the other one is much more of an introvert, then the way they carry out that evangelism is going to be very, very different. And there will be different strategies that they'll want to employ that will help them to find ease and comfort in carrying out this gift that they've been given. So figuring out what kind of a personality we have, it's just another part in this considering ourselves with sober judgment according to what God has given us for the greater good of everyone, of God's kingdom, his church. The last two we have, E and D. E is for experiences. What are the experiences that have shaped your life? The experiences that we go through, they change the way that we look at the world around us, the way we think about things. They also impact a lot our walk with Jesus and, and what it is that we can bring to the table as we're helping out our brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, it, it may be helpful just to list those experiences that we have that shape us. Think about the positive experiences that you've had in different areas of your life, your personal achievements, educational achievements, relational ones, spiritual ones. What are the high points in those different areas in your life? How do those change the way you look? How do those change what you're able to, to encourage other people with and bring to them? And then look for the pain points, too. Where have you hurt the most in those different areas, personally, educationally, spiritually, relationally? What are the negative experiences that you've felt in those areas? And, 
And how have those shaped you in the way that you look at your life? I think back to Esther. She certainly had some negative experiences that uniquely shaped her to be in a position to help others. So once we list them, then we're able to look at them and consider how has this changed me and how has it better equipped me to reach out to and help and serve the people God has placed into my life. And then our last one, the letter D, is for what are you doing? Right, this talks about what we've been talking about now last week and this week, our, our vocations, the callings that you're filling out and serving right now in your life. And remember, our identity as sinners saved by Jesus, that is a constant that will never change throughout your entire life. But what you're doing right now, your vocation, that's something that's for right now and maybe for a little while, but could eventually change. I'll use myself as an example. I'm I'm carrying out a vocation now as a dad, which for the first 32 years of my life was not a part of who I am at all. But now I need to consider this new vocation with Amos and, and how am I able to use my spiritual gifts, the passions of my heart, my abilities, my personality, my experiences, to channel all of that into the opportunities that come with that one vocation of Father. And so think about for a minute all the different hats that you're wearing right now. Maybe it's child or parent or sibling or friend. Could be student or teacher. It could be mentor or, or mentee. Could be that you're a fixer, you're a cleaner, you're fill in the blank. The, the possibilities are endless. And I think if you sit down and think about it, you are all wearing more hats than you're even aware of. For each one of those, how do those other characteristics, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, how do those uniquely shape you for the opportunities that your present calling and vocation are going to set in front of you today or tomorrow? It's humbling when you think about it. All of the different facets of all of these different characteristics, which means that we really are like snowflakes or, or thumbprints or whatever you want to say, there are, there's not a chance at all that any two of us are a duplicate of anybody else here. But all of those factors combine to shape you into exactly the person that God wants you to be right now today. And then you take that and consider the fact that not only has he shaped you precisely as he wants you to be shaped. But then he purchased you with the blood of his son so that you may be shaped that way, not just on purpose, but for a purpose. To be his child, to be a part of him, to, to use how he shaped you to share love with other people. And then that's the second part, the other people. Because God has taken you uniquely shaped as you are and he's dropped you here, surrounded by these people, uniquely shaped as they are. And once again, he's done it not just on purpose, but for a purpose. So that together, you, we can be a body. We can be a family made up of all these different parts and when we identify and we recognize what our function as those different parts is, that we can benefit one another in a way that is truly miraculous 
only by the grace of God. We belong to Him, and we belong to one another. So in everything we do here, to God alone be the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen.